We are making our way through the Old Testament, and uh, you know, each week I feel like after I study the story and after I get ready to preach it, I say, okay, now this is my favorite story in the whole Bible, and uh, this week is no exception. We're just going after great story after great story. This morning, the theme centers on wrestling in the Bible. Now, when I say the word wrestling, I don't know who you think of, but I'm a child of the 80s, so I think of like Hulk Hogan, uh, or I think of like Randy Macho Man Savage, that those are the images that come to mind when I think of, of wrestling. Uh, but earlier this week, I read about one of the most famous American wrestlers ever who I had not heard about before. His name is Rulon Gardner. He wrestled in the 2000 Olympic Games, and he made it all the way to the gold medal match. All right, now Rulon was tough. All right, now you should ask me, how tough was he? So go ahead, just ask me. I can't wait to tell you. Get this, he was so tough that in elementary school during show and tell, he accidentally got shot by a bow and arrow in the stomach and survived. That's how tough he was. He's so tough that once, while snowmobiling in the mountains, he plunged into an icy river, found himself stranded for 18 hours, 10 degrees below zero, before getting rescued. That's how tough he was. He survived a plane crash into a lake and had to swim for an entire hour to shore in 40 degree temperatures. That's how he was... Help me now, he was tough. But the question is, was he tough enough to get a gold medal in the 2000 Olympics in wrestling? Well, there's only one opponent left standing in his way, and the opponent's name was Russian Alexander Carlin. Carlin was unbeatable. I mean, literally unbeatable. For 13 years straight, he had not lost a match. For six years straight, no one had even scored a point on him in wrestling. This was a tough man. But Rulon managed to hang in there with the opponent, even though he later acknowledged that the other guy was stronger than him. At one key point in the match, he caught his opponent off guard and scored a point. He went on to hold out, and the match ended with a score of one point to zero. He shut the guy out. Rulon was now a gold medalist, and it was called the miracle on the mat. Check out these pictures. Here's Rulon, and there's Alexander Uh, Would you want to wrestle with either of these guys? No! And check out the next picture. Here he is with the gold. It was a miracle and one of the most remembered wrestling matches ever. But in the Bible, we read this morning about what I would call the most famous wrestling match of all time. You see, Abraham's grandson, Jacob, one night found himself wrestling none other than God himself. I don't mean figuratively. I mean literally, hands on the shoulders, going at it with God, rolling around on the ground, putting each other in moves and holds, and and all night long, a wrestling match. And we're going to see why Jacob finds himself wrestling with none other than God himself. And then we're going to see how Jacob's story portrays three ways that we find ourselves wrestling with God. Well, let's pray, and then we'll hear about this amazing story. Father, you are a God who is not only far off dwelling in unapproachable light, you are a God who is near. You are a God who comes down. You are a God who reaches out, who touches us. You are a God who knows us. And here we see this morning that you are a God who will contend with us. We pray that you would give us insight into our own faith through this amazing story, using your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Open your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 25. 
We have a lot of ground to cover this morning. And so Genesis chapter 25 is where we're going to begin. And I think it always helps if you start with an idea of how the message is going to flow. So here's how it's going to flow. We're going to begin by briskly making our way through a few stories in Jacob's life. We're not going to camp on them, though. We're just going to kind of scratch the surface. That's going to be the first half of the message. In the second half, we're going to actually drill down on this whole wrestling encounter, and we're going to learn a lot from that. So in chapter 25, verse 19, the story begins. It says, These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer. Rebekah, his wife, conceived. The children struggled together within her. She said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man, dwelling in tents, Isaac loved Esau because he ate of his game, but Rebekah loved Jacob. Jot this down in your notes. The first story we're looking at is the birth. The birth. Two baby boys, but Rebekah wasn't quite sure at first what was going on. She got pregnant, which was a miracle because Isaac prayed, and it was a grace that she even got pregnant. But then she said, what's going on in there? It's like, I feel like there's kung fu fighting happening in my womb. And so, so she went to God, and she's like, What's happening inside of me? Uh, And God revealed to her some pretty impressive stuff. First of all, God told her that she was going to have twins. Uh, He didn't even need to look at the ultrasound. He just knew it. Uh, He didn't even have the technology yet, but he could tell there's two in there. And he said this in verse 23. Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. What does that mean? She didn't know it, but God knew that from Esau would come the Edomites, a whole nation of people eventually, And she knew that from Jacob would ultimately come the people of promise. The Israelites would be descendants of Jacob. It says, the one shall be stronger than the other. The older, listen, the older shall serve the younger. Now this is fascinating because God was proclaiming a blessing on the younger, saying it would be through the younger that God's promised people would come about and ultimately the descendant of Abraham, who would be the Messiah, would come through Jacob, not through Esau. That's important to see because customarily the older firstborn son would get twice the inheritance of the, of the second. And uh, Esau came out first, so it stands to reason God's promises to Abraham would be fulfilled through Esau, right? But God said, no, it's on the younger that my blessing will fall. So jot this down. God proclaimed the blessing. God proclaimed the blessing. And he did it from birth. Now, this birth story is supposed to show us a foreshadowment of how these two boys were going to get along. Have you ever watched the baby story on TLC? Have you ever watched that show? Yeah? Am I the only one? I mean, come on, guys, help me out here. 
when we were building our family, Lauren and I would watch this all the time. And, you know, they, they had all these different birth stories. But trust me, if that show was around back in this day, this birth story would get on the program. Okay, because first of all, it's a miraculous pregnancy. Second of all, she talked to God about it, and he made some sort of an oracle. Third, the first kid who came out looked like an orangutan. Covered from head to toe in this reddish hair, right? Now, I know no matter what the baby looks like, you've got to be like, oh, he's so cute. But man, looking at this one, you'd have to be like, wow. And you'd have to look away a little bit, and then you'd have to say, he's adorable and so furry. So you don't even need any blankets for that kid, right? So this kid comes out, and, and, then, and then he's just about out, and they're like marveling. And then there's a hand on his heel, and Jacob is grasping his heel as Esau comes out. And it's almost like Jacob's saying, oh, no, you don't. You know, I, <laughs> you think you're going to get out first? And the birth is supposed to foreshadow what we see in their grown-up lives. They named Jacob Jacob because the word resembles the term for heel. Uh, it basically became slang for like deceiver or trickster or heel grabber or somebody who trips somebody else up. So they named him that. And you can see in the birth how these two brothers were not going to get along. And you can see from the birth the kind of man Jacob was going to turn out to be. Well, there's also favoritism among the parents. Isaac loved Esau more than Jacob because he's a manly man. He loved to hunt. The smell of the field was on him. And Isaac, you know, he was a foodie. You guys know what a foodie is? Have you ever heard that term before? You can start using it. Foodies are people who love food. I mean, the certain kind of food they like, the certain place they like. They were like foodies. And Isaac was like a, a foodie. And so he loved Esau more than Jacob. But Rebecca loved Jacob because he hung around the tents. He was more of a homebody, kind of a mama's boy, soft-skinned. and So you get the idea of how the two were different. Sometimes I like to, in my own head, get real modern-day people to play the parts of Bible people in my head. So, so I cast them this week, and playing the part of Jacob in my head is, uh, is Toby McGuire. Here, here's a picture of him. Now, I picked him because he's kind of got that soft side, you know, where he's like homebody and mama's boy and whatever, but then he's also Spider-Man. So you don't mess with him because he's tough. And Jacob, you know, there are some parts in the Bible where he's super strong, but then there's other parts where he's just kind of like, you know, not. So I picked Toby McGuire. Uh, playing the part of Esau in my head, I thought, well, he's got to have red hair. He's got to be kind of tough and gruff and just tell it like it is. So I picked uh, Danny Bonaducci. Plus like a foot, like taller. But, uh, so picture these two brothers, and, uh, and you got a good start. But the birth shows us something really important. We've got to get this, otherwise we're not going to understand when this wrestling match comes up. We've got to get this. God's blessing was secured by God at birth. Therefore, Jacob had no responsibility to earn it or to maneuver to apprehend it. It would only be by faith that Jacob would receive the blessing. This is a lesson it would take Jacob 60 years to learn. He did not get the promised blessing from birth was from the grace of God and he needed to simply receive it by faith. Well, that's the birth. Let's move on. The next one, you can jot this down and let's talk about the blessing. Let's talk about the blessing. The blessing is uh, very important. It would, in, it would involve getting half or, or twice as much of what the father owned as the young, younger brother. It would also involve the promised covenant blessings made to Abraham. Um, so check out chapter 27, verse 1. 
chapter 27, verse 1. And we'll read about the blessing. It says this, When Isaac was old and his eyes were dim so that he could not see, because his eyesight is failing, he's getting old. He called Esau, his older son, and said to him, My son, he answered, Here I am. He said, Behold, I'm old. I do not know the day of my death. Now then, take your weapons, your quiver and your bow. Go out into the field and hunt game for me. Prepare for me delicious food such as I love. And bring it to me so that I may eat, that my soul may bless you before I die. Uh Uh-oh. This is a problem. You catching why it's a problem? It's a problem because he says, I'm about to bless you, but God said the blessing should be on Jacob. So Isaac here is lacking faith and is not planning to align his blessing with the declaration of God. Moreover, we see that it's his stomach that is leading him to do this. Because, you know, if he blessed Jacob, it could really cut into his diet. If Esau was no longer the one making him the food he likes, it listen, make no mistake about it, it was food that was swaying his heart. Uh, now, I saw this online this week. Maybe you do love food, but um, check this out for Thanksgiving if you're a lover of food and you want something to look forward to. Now, that's what it was that was leading Isaac to jeopardize the promise that's supposed to bring the blessing of salvation into the world. It was food. And hey, you've got to get this lesson. We've got to get this lesson. If the enemy can use your basest desires to take you out, this isn't, the first, this isn't the first time food got in the way, right, of God's plan to bless the earth. What was it in the garden? First plan of attack, fruit. What was it when Satan got his crack at Jesus, the Son of God? Oh, I'm going to take him down. First thing I'm going to do is say, you want bread? It's food. And he'll go after your basest desires first because often it's all he needs. It was food that was swaying Isaac's heart in the wrong direction. Well, reading on in verse 5, Now, Rebekah was listening when Isaac spoke to his son, Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game and bring it, Rebekah said to her son, Jacob, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau. Bring me game and prepare for me delicious food that I may eat it and bless you before the Lord before I die. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice as I command you. Go to the flock, bring me two good young goats so that I may prepare them delicious food for your father such as he loves. You shall bring it to your father to eat so that he may bless you before he dies. Now whatever else Rebecca believed about the word of the Lord that she heard at birth, she lacked faith because she was taking matters into her own hands right now. And guess how many times that works out good in the Bible? Zip. Never. She's like, oh, my husband's going to give the blessing to the wrong guy. And she's the epitome of the ultimate helicopter mom. There she is. Did you hear that phrase before? Helicopter parent always there hovering over to bail your kid out. Her kid's 40 years old and she's still doing it. Okay, oh honey, I got to save you from this. You got to do this and you got to do that. And she's trying to run his life. And Well, what does he do? Reading on in verse 11, but Jacob said to Rebekah, his mother, behold, my, father, my brother Esau is a hairy man. Mom, he's got bushy arms. Dad's not going to fall for it. I'm a smooth man. Perhaps my father will feel me and I shall seem to be mocking him and bring a curse upon myself and not a blessing. His mother said to him, Let your curse be on me, my son. Only obey my voice and go bring them to me. And now here Jacob has a choice. 
Do I trust God by faith to bring me the blessing? Or do I trust Mama's plan to trick Dad? But he made the wrong choice. So he went and took them and brought them to his mother, and his mother prepared delicious food such as his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her older son, which were with her in the house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. Now they're playing dress up. She's putting Esau's clothes on him. And the skins of the young goat she put on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. So she puts like, this must have been one hairy dude. <laughs> He's dressed up like an animal. And she put the delicious food and the bread which she had prepared into the hand of her son Jacob. So he went into his father and said, My father, he said, Here I am. All right, this is important. This is important. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. What's that called? It's called a lie. I have done as you told me. Now sit up and eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? He answered, Because the Lord your God granted me success. What's that called? Lie number two. Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob went near to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him. He said, Are you really my son Esau? He answered, I am. What's that called? Lie number three. Three times he deceived his father. And he said, bring it near to me, that I may eat of my son's game and bless you. So he brought it near to him, and he ate, brought him wine, and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, come near and kiss me, my son. And so he came near and kissed him. Man, betrayed by a kiss. This is high treason in the family. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments and blessed him. Said, see, the smell of my son is as... The smell of a field that the Lord has blessed and his senses are still leading him astray. And then he gave the blessing. May God give you of the dew of heaven and of the fatness of the earth and of plenty of grain and wine. And That first part of the blessing is for prosperity that God would provide for all of his needs. Let people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. The second part of the blessing is power. People will serve and bow down and God will establish his name and the nation that comes from him, which would be Israel. Cursed be everyone who curses you and blessed be everyone who blesses you. So the third part of the blessing is protection. God will judge the nations based on their treatment of this man and his descendants because he embodies the hope of the world for God's promised salvation. But jot this down. Jacob stole the blessing. Jacob stole the blessing. We have to understand this. You see, for Esau, if you read the whole story, the blessing wasn't his by birth and the blessing wasn't his by faith. Maybe you know of the story of how he was so hungry one day and he came in from the field and Jacob made stew and Esau's, oh, I'm so hungry. And Jacob said, well, give me your birthright and I'll give you some food. And Esau's like, all right, fine. That's how much it meant to him. So by faith, he lost it. And by birth, he didn't have a right to it. Get rid of it for a bowl of soup. But here we see that for Jacob, the blessing was his by birth, but it was not yet his by faith. 
Here we see the sovereignty of God and His choice, and we see the responsibility of man and his faith, both engaged. It was not yet his by faith. He was trying to take it, to work for it, to sneak it, and God would not bless that. Reading on in verse 20, as soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. He also prepared delicious food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, let my father arise and eat of his son's game that you may bless me. His father Isaac said to him, who are you? And he answered, I am your son, your firstborn Esau. And then Isaac trembled very violently and said, who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry, said to his father, Bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, Your brother came deceitfully, and he has taken away your blessing. Verse 43 says, Now therefore, my son, Rebekah says, Now therefore, my son, to Jacob, Obey my voice, arise and flee to Laban, my brother, in Haran. What happened? He took it deceitfully. He sinned. He had no faith in what God promised to give to him. And because of it, his brother wanted to kill him. And mama heard about it again, and mama protected him and sent him away, and he ran for his life. This is the consequence of his sin. And he was gone for 20 years. From 40 to 60, he was gone. His mother never saw him again. As a result of her sin, she lost her son. And for those 20 years, God poured consequence after consequence back on Jacob's life to teach him a lesson. While God promised to take care of him, and he did, there was such hardship as Jacob had to serve under a crooked man, his father-in-law at that. And he served under him for 20 years, and he kept switching his wages and trying to uh, get money from him and trying to trick him and deceive him. And for 20 years he experienced this hardship because of his choice to do this to his father. But at the end of 20 years, God appeared to Jacob and said, it's time to go home. But home is where his brother is waiting for him. And so we pick up the story. This, this third point is where we'll camp and drill down for a while. We'll call it the showdown. First the birth, and God proclaimed the blessing. Then the blessing, and Jacob stole it, and now the showdown. Jot that down and turn to chapter 32. Chapter 32. Chapter 32, verse 9. Jacob sent some of his servants up ahead. They came back across the river, and they said, Your brother Esau is coming. Listen. How many of you have older brothers that you're afraid of? Raise up your hand if your older brother ever made your life miserable. Yeah, anybody? If he's here, you're afraid to raise up your hand even because he's looking at you. After 20 years, Jacob returns and his brother's coming down the hill with 400 men with him. How would you sleep that night? Verse 9, And Jacob said, O God of my father Abraham and God of my father Isaac, O Lord, who said to me, Return to your country, to your kindred, that I may do you good. I am not worthy of the least of all the deeds of steadfast love and all the faithfulness that you have shown to your servant. Wow. Hey, has his tone changed? 
Hey, has his faith grown? Oh, Lord, I'm your servant, he says. He says, you have shown steadfast love and I am not worthy of it. He says, for with only my staff I crossed the Jordan and now I've become two camps. I left with nothing. And you've given me so much. Please deliver me from the hand of my brother, from the hand of Esau, for I fear him that he may come and attack me, the mothers with the children. He's asking God to save him. But you said, he's trusting God's word, but you said, I will surely do you good and make your offspring as the sand of the sea which cannot be numbered for multitude. Now he's believing the covenant promise that God made to Abraham. And he's no longer trusting his own ability to get himself out of this. He is a humble man of faith. And God could have looked down and God could have said, okay, you're good. And there are times when God hears your prayer and he says, done. Done. There are times in the Bible where God answers prayer before the person's even done praying it. But not this time. Not this time. Verse 22. It says, The same night he arose and took his two wives, his two female servants, and his eleven children across the fort of the Jabbok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. We're supposed to notice that it's nighttime. It's ominous. Jacob was left alone. We're, we're supposed to notice that he's alone. Then out of nowhere it says, and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. This is so bizarre. Sends everybody across. It's nighttime. He's all alone. His brother's going to kill him tomorrow. And this man comes up and they just start wrestling. Now, I I mean, I've got a son and he's uh, six years old. He'll wrestle at any time of the day. I could wake him up at two in the morning and be like, hey, you want to wrestle? And he'd rip his shirt off and say, you're going down. And he's perfected this this double knee strike to my back. I've had to see doctors after going a round or two with my son. But here, this guy just shows up. They just start wrestling all night long. This is so intriguing. Jacob doesn't even know what's going on. It says in verse 24, verse 24, Jacob was left alone. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket. Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And There he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. The sun rose upon him as he passed Penuel, limping because of his hip. Wow. He found out that he was wrestling with none other than God himself. With God. And this encounter with God defines his relationship with the Lord. We have to ask ourselves this question. Hey, are you wrestling with God? And there are three wrestling matches between us and God that are vividly portrayed here in this amazing story. I think the first one that is most obviously on display is a portrait of prayer. You can jot this down. What we learn is 
to pray with unyielding persistence. Write that down. Pray with unyielding persistence. What we see here is the process of prayer being acted out. Jacob says, save me, I'm going to be killed tomorrow. And God comes down. And I mean, puts hands on him. I mean, they're going around and rolling around on the ground and putting each other in moves and like pain. And, and what's that supposed to be? It's supposed to depict how prayer can take shape. And we notice that it's night and it's dark and he's losing sleep. We notice the fatigue that sets in. We notice the emotion that he expresses. We notice the confusion that he faces. We notice the fear that he's facing. And this is what it's like for this man to try and impose his will upon God. And this wrestling match is supposed to show you what prayer is sometimes going to be like. Some people wrongfully teach that prayer is really just figuring out what God's already going to do and then letting Him do it. But the Bible teaches that prayer changes the natural course of history. The Bible teaches that in God's sovereignty, He has ordained and appointed prayer to be a process through which He does things that He otherwise would not have done. You have not because you ask not. We have to learn to pray with unyielding persistence. And and in Luke 18, chapter 1, Jesus told His disciples a parable so that they would not lose heart and give up in prayer. He told them the story of the, the persistent widow. And this widow kept going to court to get a judge to plead her case. And she kept showing up. And the judge kept getting more and more irritated. And she kept showing up and showing up and showing up. And finally, the judge is like, all right, fine! I'll take care of your case because you're so annoying. Jesus used that story to say this is how you should interact with your God. Not because He's going to get annoyed but because He loves and honors the persistence that we show. Here's the truth. Some blessings God is going to wrestle into your life. If you let Him go, you stop clinging to Him, you stop fighting for it, the way it goes. Some blessings God will wrestle into your life. And the Painful, drawn-out process, the energy-draining, time-consuming process should not cause you to lose heart because God's hands are on you and the process is meant to reveal to you just who it is that is contending with you. Like Jacob, while we're wrestling in prayer with God, we should demonstrate tremendous faith in what we've heard. We should express tremendous humility before a God who's blessed us. We should express our gratitude and we should persevere knowing that God will hear us. This is all supposed to impact our prayer life. And shame on us when we have such big burdens, such amazingly huge boulders we're trying to carry. And we're just like, da-da-da-da-da, amen, done. And we're not doing the hard work of laboring in prayer and wrestling with God and allowing His presence to affect us. Hey, pray with unyielding persistence. I think this is second, not just a portrait of prayer, but this is also a portrait of repentance. You can jot this down. Pray with unyielding persistence, but face the consequences of your sin. Face the consequences of your sin. It says, And Jacob was left alone, verse 24, A man wrestled with him until the breaking of the day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, that's kind of confusing, isn't it? Like, it seems like God didn't win. 
but it's supposed to alert us to the fact that Jacob did win God over. He did not prevail against Jacob. Then God did something supernatural because there was another issue God had to confront. He reached out and touched his hip socket and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. This is really interesting. Do you know it takes like a car accident to dislocate a hip? And God just reaches out with his pinky fingers like, bam! And so Jacob's like, I won, I won. And then God's like, bam! Hips out of joint. And the pain that he felt and the tremendous pain that he felt probably made him feel like giving up. And he instantly knew that he was dealing with somebody a lot stronger than him. It says in verse 26, then he said, this is God, then he said, let me go for the day has broken. Now I kind of imagine this, this guy's hip is like hanging off of his body. I kind of picture God as like, bam, leaves him like crumpled up on the ground. And then as he's walking away, Jacob like reaches out and grabs his foot. I'm not going to let you go. And God's like dragging him on the ground. Let me go. Let me go. I, I won. No, I'm not going to let you go. And, and how powerful is it that here Jacob is grabbing onto God, chasing after him, trying to keep him from getting away. Wow. But God's not ready to bless him yet. Verse 26, let me go for the day is broken. Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. This is so good. He's finally understanding that God alone has the ability to bless him and it's by faith that he's trying to get it. He's gotten there. Verse 27, And he, God, said to him, What is your name? Why did God ask him that? You think God didn't know? Don't know who you are? What is your name? Why did he ask him that? Because 20 years earlier, his father asked him that. Who, Who are you, my son? And what did he say? I'm Esau. 20 years later, guess what God has to bring up? I want want the blessing. Give me the blessing. I won't let you go. What is your name? God brings this full circle 20 years later. Pinpoints the sin that is outstanding in God's sight. This is the equivalent in the New Testament of Jesus saying to Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? It's the same thing, right? It's this penetrating, piercing opportunity that, that unearths this sin that has been festering for decades. And it gives him a chance for reconciliation with the holy God whom he sinned against. Bless me, I won't let you go. What, what is your name? What is your name? And he says, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. That's so beautiful. Israel is going to be the name of the nation that would come from him. And Israel means God strives or God fights. And you've prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. <laughs> what, what's your, I told you my name. Now what's your name? He said, why is it that you ask my name? It's kind of funny. Like what did Jacob think? My name's Jacob. Hi, what's your name? Oh, my name's Frank. How are you? Like, this is so, this is like comical. Then God says, <laughs> why do you ask me my name? Uh, in other words, you don't know yet? Do I need to touch your other hip? Where do you mean what is my name? Why do you ask me my name? 
And I think God didn't want to fill in the blank for him. I think this is the equivalent of Jesus saying to his disciples, who do, who do you say I am? He's not going to give it to him. Who do you say I am? He wants Jacob to say it. He's not going to give him the answer. Why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. And this is the first time, even though God had declared that the blessing would be upon him, this is the first time God directly applies the blessing to him because of his faith. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel, saying, For I have seen God face to face. He said it. He said it. What is your name? Why do you ask me my name? I have seen God face to face. And yet my life has been delivered. And then the sun rose. And don't miss that. How beautiful and artful. And the sun came up. And God's light was shining on him after this encounter of his life. Pray with unyielding persistence. Fear the, face the consequences of your sin. God brought him right back around to it. You have to ask yourself, are there areas of your life that God is confronting? Listen. Jacob said, hey, I got a problem on the other side of the river. My brother's coming and you got to help me. And God's like, no, you got a problem on this side of the river. We've got some business to take care of before I'm going to do anything for you. And some of you have tremendous requests that you're lifting up to the Lord. And he's like, no. No, you know what's going on in your heart. And I'm not doing anything for you over there until we take care of business right here. And he's looking straight through your heart. And he's saying, this area right here, which I've brought up time and time and time again, needs to go. This would be a, a portrait of God wrestling the sin out of you. First in prayer, God is wrestling a blessing into your life, but here we see God wrestling sin out of you. Maybe you feel like there's just been an area in your life, a, a sin or a pattern, and, and it hasn't come up once, maybe even hasn't come up twice. Repeatedly it's come up from various people, maybe a loved one in your life or a brother in Christ or and this area has been identified and the spirit in you said, yes, needs to be taken care of. Maybe God's word has pierced through your heart. I mean, you've heard it on the radio, but it's clear God's bringing it up again and again. And anything God's going to do for you on the other side of the river is going to be an aftershock of what he first does in you when he's got his hands on you. And if you harbor your sin, and if you refuse to let God take it away, his blessing is choked off. Bless me, I won't let you go until you do. What is your name? It's the same thing as the woman at the well, right? I could perceive you're a prophet. Why don't you give me some of this living water? Okay, sure. She just asked for salvation. Go and get your husband and come back. Oh, uh, that's what's going on here. And maybe to you, you're on your knees and passionately pleading and wrestling with God and God's like, okay, what about this? Take care of this. It's a portrait of repentance and facing the consequences of our sin. Hebrews 12.10 says that God disciplines us for our good, that we may share in His holiness. If you're a true Christian, you're going to walk with a limp. There's going to be times in your life where God takes you to the mat because of a sin area. And with this personal encounter, this head-on encounter with you and God, He is going to alter the way you walk with Him. He's done it to me time and time and time again where He brings the area of sin to the surface and then He wrestles it out of you and you are not the same because of it. You've got a testimony to share. But there's a third thing that this portrays, not just prayer, not just repentance, but salvation. Jot this down. Ask God to save you. 
hey, pray with unyielding persistence and face the consequences of your sin and ask God to save you. We see Jacob's faith forming. If you read the whole story, it's fascinating. You see, first, when he meets God at Bethel the first time, he's like, wow, like this must be the place where God lives. And he makes this little deal with God. He's like, tell you what, if you protect me and bring me back here, then I'll be your follower. As if that's the way God works. You see, his faith was growing, but not anymore. Not anymore. Now he says, I don't deserve anything you've given me. And I'm your servant. And I'm asking you to, he was asking him to save him from, from Esau. What a portrait of salvation. Hey, listen, as we talk about wrestling with God, maybe you've been wrestling with God your whole life. And maybe you haven't taken the time to look up and see his disapproval on you, but the truth is that the Bible doesn't say you need to be taught. The Bible doesn't say you need to be loved. The Bible doesn't say you need, it says you need to be saved. It says you need to be saved. And if you've been wrestling with God all your life for control over your life here, God's like, I've got a blessing that only I can give you, and you can only get it by faith. And it's time that you stopped wrestling with God for control of your life, and it's time that you reached out and you clung to Him for your life. It's time that you reached out and begged Him for the blessing of salvation that only He can give you. That's called being saved. Trust me, what Esau faced on the other side of the river with with 400 men and Esau coming at Jacob, what he faced on the other side of the river is nothing compared to eternal condemnation that is waiting for you on the other side of eternity. Nothing. You should be far more afraid than Jacob was of what was coming after him. And in that holy fear, Jacob prayed that God would save him. Jacob was given a new name, Israel. He was given a new limp. And both of these things commemorate his new relationship with God. Ask yourself this, what are you wrestling with God over? What is it that God is identifying in your life that he needs to pin you down on? Has there even been a time where you gave up the fight and said, that's it, I'm done, it's over. I need the blessing of salvation that only you can give. I want to take a moment here as we close to pray. I want to give you the chance to just express your heart to the Lord with whatever it is that you feel God is contending with you over. Let's close our eyes and let's turn our hearts up toward the God who made us and the God who loves us. And let's allow His Spirit to direct the thoughts of our heart right now. Let's allow His Spirit, based on His Word, to bring anything into our minds that God desires. And I pray, Lord, that as you are here and you are present, Lord, that you would lay hands on us, that you would make your presence felt. My prayer, Lord, is that your word would well up within us, help us to discern exactly what it is that you're doing. Father, I know that some here have prayer burdens that have been heartbreaking. They've been expecting you to do things you haven't done. They've been waiting years. They've been waiting decades. And you didn't just call down from heaven a yes. If 
Father, they're wrestling with you for healing, for reconciliation, for provision. They're wrestling with you and show them based on this message not to despise the process. Show them that there are some blessings that you will simply wrestle into their lives. You'll make their faith stronger once their physical strength gives out. Father, I pray for those who have been fighting you over areas of sin and you're trying to wrestle that out of their life. Lord, I pray that they would surrender it. Pray that they would stop hiding it, that they would stop avoiding it, that they would stop denying it, and that they would just release it, knowing that if we confess our sins, you are faithful and just to forgive us. And Lord, I know that there are some here this morning who have been fighting with you all their life. They know it. They stand guilty of sin before a high and holy God, and they stand condemned to spend forever the eternal punishment. But here and now, they understand that you offer them the blessing of grace that can only be found in Jesus Christ, the promised heir of Abraham. It's only through Jesus that you would bless all the peoples of the earth. Show them that because Jesus died on the cross, because he was placed in the tomb, and because he rose again, only Jesus has conquered the greatest enemies that are waiting for us, death, sin. Show them, Lord, that only if they grab hold of you and ask for the blessing of grace will they be forgiven of their sins and will they be welcomed into eternal life forever. It's only by faith that we can be saved. May they cry out to you while there's still time. May they find the blessing you've been longing to give them all their lives. Lord, we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.